This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities short of peak your curiosity. We are Amanda and Brittany. What's up? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, all. How are you? Tired. Yeah, same. Momming is hard. Adulting is hard. All of the things. It's all hard. It's hard. It's It's been a busy week. We've been saying that a lot lately. <laughs> we need a break. Mm-hmm. We are once again not recording on a Friday. <laughs> no. It's Saturday. Hey, Brittany. Hey, Amanda. What episode is it today? I'm right today. It's 106. Yay! <laughs> I double-checked while I was researching. <laughs> she got it! Yeah. Third time's a charm. That's what they say. You might be off probation. Hmm. What is wrong with my brain? I don't know. You need a sec? I have no... I'm just not feeling snarky, I guess. Okay, that's fine. All right. All right. So, it is episode 106, as Brittany guessed correctly. Woo! And we're going down under. (laughs) And, you know, every time I read that that topic... (laughs) That, man, that sounded really dirty. Like, now I see why you're giggling so much. My brain is slow today, apparently. <laughs> we yeah. mean Australian cases. Yep, yep. Um, We're going to Australia. <laughs> Just in case you couldn't figure that one out. <laughs> but every time I read it and think about the fact we're doing Australian cases, I don't go to a dirty place. My brain goes to the episode of The Office where Kevin's asking if he can do customer service in an Australian accent. <laughs> 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 and he goes, hello, mate. <laughs> Shrimp on the bobby. Dingo babies. <laughs> In the most horrific Australian accent ever. Oh, it's so bad. It's, it's, yeah. It's so bad. It's, it's good. But, um, but very sorry, memorable. Australia. We may do that a little bit. And we don't mean disrespect. No, not at we all. We just really suck at accents. No, but... Love your accent. <laughs> it's kind of hot. I really do. Oh so, my God. <laughs> you have a story too? Well, no, I was just going to say there's this movie mm-hmm. called Holiday and it's got Ooh. Emma Roberts in it or whatever. Oh, and her so love interest is Australian. Yeah. And I could listen to him talk all day, except he cannot be allowed to say khaki pants. Cockays. <laughs> That's the only word he says that is khakis. (laughs) That's the only word he says that's not hot. He should just not be allowed to say khakis. Um, Let's see. My favorite Australian accent was the guy from Coyote Ugly. (gasps) Yes. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, talk all day. I don't even I don't even care what word you say. Yeah. He was Stapler. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I do not care. Wow. Yeah, no, I mean, and just, I mean, he's pretty to look at, too. (laughs) He does all right dancing on a bar. 
Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've gone off the rails. Anyways. <laughs> um, while we regain our composure, you go, go to go the to socials. socials. Just go do that. There's episode photos, mind teasers to guess our weekly cases, um, or weekly topic mm-hmm. of our cases. Shenanigans. Lots of shenanigans. Memes. And memes and other fun stuff. Guess that cryptid. Mm-hmm. Just go there and do the things. Mm-hmm. There's also one more thing. Hump day treats. Hump day treats. Because, uh, it's hump day. <laughs> Record scratch. <laughs> she didn't even move. <laughs> it's fine. Everything's fine. I mean, my arms didn't come off the table. I was swaying. Okay, so what happened was, is I took a nap today. Yeah, and so everything is just off. I hate it when I do that. Everything is off. I'm tired, and my body is angry, and so I took a. I took a nap. I almost said I took a bath, but I didn't. I took a nap. (laughs) And here I am. I mean, a bath would probably have made you feel better, too. I'll probably do that when I get home. There you go. It makes you sleep better. Makes me sleep better. You know what else is going to make you sleep better? This hump day treat? This hump day treat. Because... It's brought to you by Amanda (laughs) Higgins. Take it away, Amanda. I lost my thoughts for a second. Okay, so... off on you. It's spreading. (laughs) Shit. <laughs> Give me back myself. It's contagious. <laughs> I don't want this. I don't want it. <laughs> All right. So today we surprised my mama with um, a nice little brunch for her birthday. And we went to Biscotti's over by um, Lewis Gifts. It's actually in it. They're adjoined. Anyways, it's on uh, Yuri Drive. And I asked them what desserts they had. After I had stuffed my face with the chicken spinach crepe and the best fruit salad I've probably ever had in my life. Fruit salad. <laughs> yummy, yummy. It was really good. Mm-hmm. I'm coming back. <laughs> I ho- I was hoping maybe the cake would perk you up. So it's a lemon blueberry cake with sour cream cheese cream icing is what they told me. Um, whatever the fuck it is. I don't understand the sour cream part. I think maybe she meant just cream cheese. They they probably make sour (laughs) cream It might be. I don't know. But it's really, really good. Mm -hmm. And since we're in Australia, I got some yellowtail Pinot Grigio. And it is Pinot Grigio this time. (laughs) For real. Because that's all they had. It was either Pinot Grigio or red. And we don't do red. Mm -mm. And I didn't think that that would go very well with the cake. No. Because this one is is kind of rich, mm-hmm. a little bit. It's it's very rich. You don't need much of it, but it's delightful. Mm-hmm. It's quite obvious these are nice fresh blueberries. Oh and yeah, the cake is kind of dense but still fluffy. If that makes any sense to anybody but me, it's nice and moist. <laughs> moist. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good though. Thank you, thank you. It was a yes, really tough you decision. Worked, you worked really hard on that? I did. I did. <laughs> I had to ask her to get it, and I walked up to the counter to pay for it. Mm-hmm. It was hard. I appreciate your sacrifice. You are welcome. <laughs> Happy to be of service. She bowed. I take my bow. Uh-huh. It was one of those fancy... <laughs> it was a fancy bow. With that's the, what I was going to say. It was one of those swirly things. fancy bows. I don't even know what the frick that's called. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's a... 
Like she's royalty. Yeah. We are still doing it. I don't okay. know. <laughs> <laughs> like it's going to make us know what it's called. Okay. So there's the hump day treat. Happy humping. Happy humping. And let's um, talk about some mess up stuff in Australia. You wanna? Australia, you guys are wild. Wild and crazy kids down there. Mm-hmm. There were so many cases that I found. I'm doing that, one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, and I read yours too. But like when I was picking my topics, mm-hmm. I had read that one too. And I had like a whole list and I was trying to narrow it down to something that I don't do very often. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I was trying to pick something different. And so I chose the one that I did, and then I went down a rabbit hole, and there's other things, and now it pretty much is what I always do. But here we go. Apparently, (laughs) y'all like it. You're still here. So I thought last week was really good when you were a little lengthy. Seriously, it was really good. Thank you. Well, buckle up, buttercup. We're doing it again. Okay. (laughs) All right. So... I'm taking on the case of the missing Beaumont children. Yeah. And just be advised, you know, for all the triggers, there's Mm -hmm. crimes against kids of many sorts in this, in this case. So be aware. Yep. It's okay. It's okay. We made it through last week. We can make it through anything. Mm -hmm. We can do it. Mm -hmm. We're in this together. (laughs) (laughs) I got you. It was Australia Day in 1966 when the Beaumont children disappeared in a case that would puzzle investigators for decades. On that day, nine-year-old Jane Beaumont took her sister, seven-year-old Arna, and brother, four-year-old Grant, to Glenig Beach. I have a picture of the kids. Okay. Those Beaumont children, and it's a picture of them at the beach. Oh, look how precious. Jane's on the left. Arna's on the right, and Grant's there in the middle. Um, I want to go to that beach. I know. They're little cutie patooties. I love the haircuts. I know. Definitely the 60s. Super 60s. <laughs> this was not their first unsupervised outing. Okay. <laughs> they lived in an area that was regarded as a safe place for young kids to travel alone, which was commonplace in 1966. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everywhere, kids kind of just did, you know. That was the times. I know, I know, I know. The concept of child abductions and stranger danger was not taught to kids who were encouraged to be independent. Jane learned the local bus routes. The beach was only a five-minute ride away, and the Beaumont children had always returned home safely. On January 26, 1966, however, they didn't. Oh, bum, bum, bum. Yeah. That fateful day was a particularly hot one. Glenig Beach was bursting with locals searching for relief with the water and ocean breeze. In January. (laughs) Right? Well, it's Australia, mate. I know, I know. (laughs) Jane, Arna, and Grant were no different and took the 8.45 a.m. bus to get to the beach early. They were expected to return on either the noon or 2 p.m. bus, but they never did. The children's father, Jim, returned from work around 3 p.m. and drove to the beach to find his kids. He checked the bus stop and combed the beach with no success. Jim and his wife, Nancy, then knocked on some doors in their neighborhood. I have a picture of the Beaumonts. Okay. There weren't a lot of them, but this one just kind of showed their grief, and it made me sad. Oh. thought it was kind of important. That he's, like, consoling her. Oh, man. Oh, that's a 
heartbreaking photo. I know. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. When that turned up nothing, the couple reported their children missing at the Glenig Police Station at 7.30 p.m. By the next day, a reward of $250 was offered to the public for any information leading to the kids' discovery. Which was kind of a lot then. Yeah, that's not a bad amount, yeah. The information the Beaumonts received about their children was few and far between. Witnesses at Glenig Beach that day also spoke of a tall, slender man in his 30s. Mm. He was described as a sun-baked swimmer in a blue Speedo. (laughs) Oh, God. Sir. (laughs) Oh, no. I bet he was sun-baked if he was wearing a Speedo. Nobody needs to see all that. Put it Mm. away. Put it up. (laughs) He was seen shepherding a group of kids into the distance. Some recalled the children being comfortable with a stranger as if they knew him. Witnesses said the kids were playing with a man at the beach, which the Beaumonts thought was odd because Jane was normally shy and wary of strangers, which added to the theory that the children knew the man from previous encounters. Investigators later discovered that Arna had previously told her mother that Jane got a boyfriend down at the beach. Oh. Initially dismissed as a joke about some boy Jane met previously, it now appeared to Nancy that perhaps this sun-baked predator had befriended her children. It's very possible. Which is why you don't let your kids out of your sight. Nope. The children were seen at a nearby bakery around 12.20 p.m. the day they went missing, where Jane purchased two large sodas, nearly a dozen finger buns and pasties, and a meat pie. Yeah, yeah. The shopkeeper who knew the children noted that the kids had never bought a meat pie before and didn't usually buy such a large amount of food for a quick beach trip. The Beaumont kids usually were given just enough money for their bus fare and a lunch. Clearly, they had been given extra money by someone else. Mm, That's weird. Yeah, and I think it's kind of cool that the shop, the bakery owner was like that observant. He knew what those kids came in and got every time and noticed that something was off this Mm -hmm, time. mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The last time anyone saw the Beaumont children was around 1.30 p.m. The father of one of their friends was driving by and saw the siblings along with three adults. Mm. He recognized one man who frequented a racetrack. He didn't know the other two adults, a blonde male and a woman wearing a blue and white dress with a distinctive design on it. Okay. Their friend's father thought it was weird that the kids weren't with their parents, and although he reported the tip to police, they had so many other tips and didn't follow up on the lead. Uh. I know. Okay. With the suspect's sketch plastered across the news, hundreds called into the police claiming to have seen him that day, yet nothing ever came of this. Damn it. I have a picture of the sketch. Wait, did they catch? Did they figure out what happened? Because this is going to drive me nuts. Mm, Prepare to be crazy. Okay. Here is the sketch. That is scary as hell. Yeah, you see, like, the rough sketch at first, and then the more refined. Yeah. Okay. That's a pretty distinctive face. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Tall, slender man. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Slender man. Oh, I know. That's exactly what I thought when you said it. Yikes. The uh, search for the children was widespread, covering about 30 miles surrounding Adelaide. Wow. Okay. It was apparently the largest missing person search in Australian history. Wow. Spanning 36 hours, the police force, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and concerned citizens all searched frantically for the kids. Good job. I know. They all pulled together. They inspected storm drains, checked the rocks along the beach, and dived in a nearby marina. 
I have a picture of people searching the beach. Oh, cool. Okay. Look at that. Oh, look. They're, they're searching the beach. They're out there searching and digging around, except for this one snazzy guy in a hat who is posing for the picture. Maybe he just <laughs> happened to look up. But yeah, they're out there doing their due diligence. <laughs> Good job, guys. He's like, oh, wait, do you want me to look like I'm going for something? Can we bend over a little bit? Action shot? <laughs> Right? <laughs> is this my good side? Did you get it? Did you get yeah. it yet? Okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> the marina that they dove in was drained when a woman reported having spoken to three children matching the Beaumont siblings' descriptions there on January 26th, and nothing was found. They drained it? They drained the fucking marina. Oh, my God. Okay. Search parties scoured the land nearby for freshly turned earth that could signal a gravesite. Unfortunately, there were no signs of the Beaumont siblings. Whew. Okay. And for some reason, when I read Beaumont siblings, the Beaumont children, it makes me think of the Baudelaire children from series of oh, unfortunate events. Oh, yes. My brain goes there every time. Yeah, it's not them. It's not. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> the clothes in that movie were fabulous, though. I'm just going to throw that out there. Whoever did their costume design was, they need a raise. And it was perfectly dark and gloomy. Just yeah. the right amount of dark and gloomy. Yeah. I love that movie. Anyhow, that's so not good. what okay. we're doing here. No, no, it's not. <laughs> Desperate for clues, police flew in a Dutch clairvoyant named Gerard Croissant. Croissant? Croissant. Croissant. Croissant? Gerard. They flew Gerard. in Gerard. He's a clairvoyant. In November 1966. Gerard. <laughs> Gerard Butler? <laughs> Maybe. Ooh. That would be <laughs> nice. Go with that. Let's do that and mix it up a Okay. Uh, so Gerard Butler <laughs> claimed to have seen the Beaumont children in his mind buried in a warehouse kiln near their school. Oh, no. Locals formed a Citizens Action Committee and raised $40,000. Wow. Oh, my fuck, for 1966. To demolish and excavate the site. It took a year, but the dig began and ended with authorities finding absolutely nothing in front of television crews. Yikes. And but look, they were on top of that shit, though. They were... I mean, I know. $40,000. They were not fucking around. No. Another lead alleged that the Beaumont children were living in the mud islands of Victoria. Okay. The entire crew of a British freighter stationed there at the time was questioned in 1968, but this, too, provided nothing. More promising were the claims of a Perth woman who revealed that for nine months in 1966, she had lived next door to the children in a desolate railway town between West and South Australia. But no clues were found there either. Shit. Tragically, locals began to suspect the children's own mother of being involved. What? Yeah, which, of course, was not a thing. Okay, good. They, I hate when media, mm-hmm. you know, towns, mm-hmm. whoever, do that because they have nowhere else to place the blame, that poor woman. That's sad. Then in March 1986, the case Whoa. appeared on the edge of being solved when authorities found three suitcases in a residential garbage can. These cases were stuffed with newspaper clippings about the children with lines and headlines crossed out and ominous comments scrawled in red ink. Not in the sand hills, in sewage drain, one comment read. 
It was soon discovered that these were just the scraps of an elderly amateur sleuth who had been passionately following the case and her relatives threw these documents out when she died. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of other theories. Oh, We're yeah? going to skip all that and, okay. and jump to this one really big one. Okay. I like really big ones. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> I realized it as it was coming out, but I just let it flow anyways. Yeah. Fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's a safe place. Yeah. Safe place. Okay. It's a safe place here. 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 But not there. Well, I'm saying when, when this goes out into the world, <laughs> people may laugh at you, as I'm doing now. I mean, I'm used to it. <laughs> They're all going to laugh at you. <laughs> If I can handle it from you, I can handle it from anyone. See, I'm just getting you ready for the real world. I know. I love your brutal honesty. It's fabulous. The real world, Shreveport. Oh, God. Could you imagine? That show supplies you with bulletproof vests. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. All right, I got to get back on topic. Okay, here. yeah, I, I could go way Woo. off topic with that one. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Yeah, let's do. Let's. Oh God. Okay, here we go. Two strikingly similar child abductions that occurred around the same time may be the key to solving this harrowing crime. All right. One suspect who stood out to the investigators was Arthur Stanley Brown. I have a picture of a younger Arthur. Um, Arthur. Arthur. Yes. Let's go look at that. <gasps> look at the sketch. Mm-hmm. Look at the photo. That's Arthur Stanley Brown. Oh my! That is a tall, slender man. That's a little sus. Even even the ears sticking out. Yep. Hmm. Oh, that is almost. Let's learn about this, shall we? Okay. Here's a little synopsis about him. Okay. Okay. He okay. was charged in 1998. With murdering seven and five year old McKay sisters in 1970, and eight other family members and stepchildren subsequently accused him of sexual assault and rape. Oh, good. Another two children, Joanne Ratcliffe and Kirsty Gordon, were kidnapped in 1973 from a football, soccer game oh, in yeah. North Adelaide. So, uh, that's okay, the two similar okay. cases to the Beaumont case. So, I'm going to tell you about these right now. Oh, good. On August 25th, 1973, there was a soccer match between Norwood and North Adelaide. Joanne Ratcliffe, 11, was one of 13,000 spectators who attended. She was sitting with her parents and next to Kirsty Gordon, a four-year-old who was in the care of her grandmother. Oh. Joanne's family had been to the Oval, which is what they call the field. Okay. Had been to the Oval to watch dozens of games, and the young girl knew her way around. Bored, she struck up a friendship with the four-year-old sitting next to her, and when she asked to go to the bathroom, Joanne volunteered to take her. So I have a picture of Joanne and Kirsty. Oh. And so this this soccer match that they were at, this is their first time to ever meet each other. It's not okay. like they were family friends. No, but I mean kids. Yeah, do kids that. link up, man. <laughs> so Easily. That's Joanne on the left. The 11-year-old and Kirsty on the right, who was four. Look how cute they are. Mm Mm-hmm. Precious. Yeah. 
Oh, sweet baby smiles. I know. The Ratcliffe family had one rule. Joanna could go to the bathroom while the game was being played, but not during the last quarter, nor any of the breaks, which is wise. That's when most people right, are going. Right, right. The two girls went together early in the game, and then again during the third quarter. The second time, they did not return. Oh, shit. A skinny-faced man, around the age of 40, wearing a brimmed hat and a tweed jacket, was oh. spotted with the girls in and around the Oval by numerous witnesses. The assistant curator, Ken Wolling, spotted the man and the two girls behind the grandstand trying to coax a kitten out from under a car. Oh, no. That's and, how he got them. Yep. It's his ruse. Anthony Kilmartin, 13, was selling drinks and lollies <gasps> when he saw the man come from behind a tree and scoop up the younger girl with one arm and carry her toward the southern gates. The fuck? With Joanne following frantically behind. She was not going to let him get away with that little girl. What a brave, oh brave 11-year-old. Yeah. According to Anthony, Joanne, who he later identified from a selection of photographs, was kicking the man in the shins and pulling at his jacket. He was angrily yelling, clear off, before taking her by the arm and leading both children out of the gates. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Sue Laurie, just one year older than Anthony, witnessed the same scene, but mistakenly read this as a family dispute. Mm. This misinterpretation was understandable, and even after learning of the abductions, she didn't make the link. Okay. It wasn't until 1980 when she offhandedly mentioned the scene to her husband that it began to weigh heavily on her mind. She reported it to police, but didn't revisit this day again <clears throat> until almost two decades later. Oh. The child was crying, she told Adelaide Radio Station 5AA in 1998. You need five AA batteries for that one? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> and a second girl who looked a few years younger than me was running after the man, thumping him and punching him and shouting, We want to go back. I assumed, absolutely assumed, that the man must be the girl's grandfather and that the girls were misbehaving. Sure, sure. I watched it all for about 60 seconds, and my main reaction was surprised that the grandfather didn't tell his granddaughter off for hitting him. Given the man's distinct appearance and how he was acting in broad daylight in an oval containing 13,000 people, police were able to get an accurate description. The yes. picture was drawn and widely distributed, and an eerie connection was apparent. The police sketch of the suspect in the Adelaide Oval... Looked exactly the same as the one drawn years earlier after the Beaumont children went missing. Y yes. Judith and Susan McKay, aged 7 and 5, were only 200 Aww. meters from their house in Townsville when they were abducted. Oh, no. I have a picture of the McKay sisters. You can't even play outside in your front yard. Well, oh, my God. They're holding a koala. I know. So that's Judith on the left and Susan on the right. Oh, look how cute. Susan is like so cute. I know. I want to hold a koala. Me too. Okay. They had only left home 10 minutes earlier walking to the bus stop to head to school. Yep. Nope. That's why I don't let my kid go to the bus stop. Mm -mm, that's why we do carpool. Yep. <laughs> Their naked bodies were discovered oh, two days earlier. Or No. Their naked bodies <laughs> were discovered two days later in a dry creek bed. Both girls had been raped, and each had been stabbed three times in the chest. Oh, my God. Both of them were choked to death before the sexual assaults took place. Oh, gross. Yeah. Susan, with the killer's bare hands, and Judith, after sand was forced into her mouth and nose, oh, blocking her airways. Oh, no. Oh, my God. 
Their, I know. Their school uniforms were neatly folded and placed beside them, uh. along with their straw hats and school bags. Even their socks were folded and placed carefully, one inside each little shoe. Fuck you. Oh, that's it's so that's, gross. That's even worse. I don't know why, but it is like ugh. I know. As with the Adelaide Oval case and the Beaumont children disappearance, there were plenty of witnesses. One man saw a slender male leaning out of a car talking to the girls at the bus stop at eight ten AM. Three hours later and eighty five kilometers away, I did not convert. Oh, so you Lord. can do that on your own. I don't wanna <laughs> That's what I'm saying. If you're listening and you wanna know what that is, Google it. <laughs> the same man pulled up at a service station and refueled. The attendant, Jean Thwaite, recalled later that one of the two girls with the man asked, When are you taking us to Mummy? You promised to take us to Mummy. The two Aww. children seemed upset. Although this sighting was solid, it was disregarded by police. The petrol attendant claimed that the car was a Vauxhall mm-hmm. with a mismatched driver's side door. Police were told by numerous other witnesses, however, that the car was an F.J. Holden with a mismatched door. And given this description happened to match a car parked near where the bodies were found, police focused on finding this vehicle. So they didn't believe her with the Vauxhall. They believed the F.J. Holden. Okay, okay. A police sketch was never circulated to the media since the car was thought to be the most important piece of information. Oh, no. The F.J. Holden was never located. Vital witness statements were not treated seriously, and the case went cold. Okay, here we go. Oh. Let's learn. Oh, yeah. We still in it. We're skipping to dates. I mean. We are. Wow. Okay. We're going to learn a little bit more about Arthur Stanley Brown. All right. On July 6, 2002, Arthur Stanley Brown slipped away for the final time at age 90. He died alone in a nursing home in Melinda, Queensland. He left no blood relatives and gave instructions to his carer that there were to be no death notices published. It took months for the media to report on his death. Brown died an innocent man, having never been convicted of any of the crimes he was charged with, including the rape of six children, the McKay murder, and 45 sexual assault charges. And a partridge in a pear tree. Yes. Oh, gross. Photos of him taken in the 1970s and in his later life look shockingly similar to the police sketches from the Adelaide Oval murders. Yeah. His appearance remained consistent throughout his adult life, giving witness sightings from decades ago a vivid quality. So I have a picture of Arthur before he died. Hold on. I'm eating some cake. I was hoping that would make me feel better. Okay. Yeah, probably not. This is all garbage. But he still looks exactly the same. He still looks like the sketch, even as an old man. Yeah. Even as an old man. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is his facial features are so distinctive. Mm -hmm. There's no denying that one. So, I'm about to tell you why he didn't want his death reported. Okay, cool, because I thought that was very odd. Mm-hmm. All right. From all accounts, Brown was a very strange man. He was meticulously <laughs> neat to a fault. Yeah, he with folded him. up their clothes. Well, we don't know. Whatever. At this point. <laughs> <laughs> with immaculately pressed shirts and an odd habit of folding garbage up into near squares before disposing of it. This quality interested police given the neatly folded clothing near the McKay sisters' bodies. Yeah. He also drove a Vauxhall, 
with an oddly colored door. Wow. Which he replaced and buried shortly after wait. the murders as he didn't want anyone interviewing or annoying him. Wait, wait, wait. He buried the He buried the, the door. door. Yeah. He replaced it and buried it. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So no one would interview or annoy him. Yeah. Because shame on them mm-hmm. for annoying him. Yep. Here's his backstory. Okay, yeah. Let let me see. I want to figure him out. Brown married Hester Porter in 1944 and became, I know, poor Hester, and became stepfather to her three children while also conducting an affair with Hester's sister, Charlotte. Oh my God. Piece of shit, sister and husband. This could be like a whole fucking mini series. This is a Jerry Springer episode. It's insane. When Hester died in 1978, following a fall, he quickly married Charlotte. Well, I would hope so. Charlotte's son, Peter Nielsen, believes Brown actually killed his first wife, Mm. fearing she was planning to go to the police. For what? Hester had caught Brown molesting a child and confessed to her older sister, Millie, that she made sure he was never alone with her children. I love how you answer all my questions. Mm Mm-hmm. It wasn't enough to protect them, as various relatives came forward in the early 1980s and claimed that Brown had molested them as children. Oh, my God. They teamed up and sought legal advice. Sadly, they were advised to keep this a family secret. What? For fear that a trial may be traumatic for Brown's many victims. What? I know. Okay. Okay. It was the 80s. I don't... Uh, okay. Well, you know, yeah. like, yeah, I know. Bringing I'm... sexual assault to the forefront mm-hmm. was not a thing mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. Many of the children were taken by Brown to the same dry creek bed the McKay sisters were found in. What? Wait, what? Apparently, that's his spot to molest kids. Gross. Yeah. Okay. Brown lived in Queensland all his life and repeatedly denied he was in Adelaide around the time of the Ratcliffe Gordon disappearance. Prove it. He once admitted this in a conversation with Mim Moss, a relative through marriage. Mim. I like it. Yeah. Brown was talking to Moss and her sister, who had just returned from Adelaide. He mentioned he visited Festival Hall not long after it opened, which would place him in the area in 1973. Bitch. Mm Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Mm Mm-hmm. Moss also claimed Brown was obsessed with the McKay sisters' killings as he worked as a carpenter at their school. (gasps) He asked, or this is a quote from Ms. Malls. Okay. He asked Auntie Hester, my sister and I, if we wanted to go out and see where the McKay girls were murdered. What? It would have only been a couple of weeks after they were found. Why? 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 If you're not directly related to it or or the girls, like, why why would you Mm -mm. just randomly want to? No. Red flag. Hello. Brown also had a secret room in his house that would lock from the inside. That's not okay. Mm -mm. Auntie Hester and I got in there one day and found bottles of port wine and all these books. True stories on women who had been murdered. Absolutely slaughtered, Mim said. He used to get all the grandkids drunk and show them the pictures of women who had been gutted and say, look, isn't that wonderful? There was paraphernalia like ropes and stuff like that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. They knew about all of this back when it was happening. Mm-hmm. And nobody ever said anything. They were advised not to. I don't give a shit. <laughs> well, I'm just telling you. I'm, their lawyer advised I'm, them not to. I, 
don't listen to. <laughs> don't snap at me, Missy, ma'am. I didn't do it. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm just <sighs> okay. I know it's awful. Like it's really awful. This is so bad. I am outraged. Brown's job was at the Department of Public Works, where he was unsupervised and had vast access to public buildings, which would give him ample opportunity to plan and execute kidnappings. The circumstantial evidence against Brown is difficult to refute, and many officials believe he was responsible for the Beaumont kidnapping. A 1998 crime special led to Brown's arrest. Oh, goody! Mm -hmm. The program focused on the 1970 murder of the McKay sisters and prompted one of Hester's cousins, who was molested by Brown and long suspected him of the murders, to call Crime Stoppers. She reported that Brown had molested several of his relatives and shared her suspicions of the McKay murders. Police cast a wide net and located two men who claimed Brown confessed to the murders, although neither took him seriously at the time. Okay, people, we hear this too much. <laughs> yes. If somebody Way confesses murder to you, believe them. Believe them. Believe them. Even if they're lying. Go ahead and take that extra step just to make yeah, sure. Yeah, You know, people make false confessions all the time and they're able to get off and say, oh, wait, well, I was just kidding. No, let's backtrack that because people do make false confessions and sometimes are wrongfully imprisoned. No, I, so I guess I it depends on the situation. But let's it, take that extra like step. Just maybe, to be sure. maybe just look into it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't just brush it off. Yeah, I'm not gonna. If you tell me you murdered somebody, I'm gonna ask some questions. Mm-hmm. 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 <sighs> Probably gonna go to some advice elsewhere. What do I do with mm-hmm. this info? Yes. Yeah. The attendant who saw the upset girls in his car positively identified Brown as the man they saw in 1970. Oh, wow. The evidence against Brown was circumstantial, and a Supreme Court jury was unable to decide upon a verdict. Yeah, but I'm going to say it. There, I know. There's no I know. It's shitty evidence. So you can't. A retrial was scheduled, but Brown's wife, Charlotte, fronted the mental health tribunal and claimed... That he was unfit to stand trial due to his increasing dementia. Oh, God. Brown was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and the prosecution dropped the charges, believing it pointless to continue. But he didn't have Alzheimer's back then. But he can't defend himself. I know. I hate it. Mm -hmm. Arthur Stanley Brown died in 2002, as I said before, with a clean criminal record. Members of his own family believe he may have been responsible for at least nine murders. At least. In the end, the case remains unsolved of the Beaumont children. Fuck. Nancy Beaumont died at an Adelaide nursing home at 92 years Ooh. old in 2019. And the last I saw, her husband, who she separated from amidst all the trauma, is still oh, alive. no. They didn't make it through. Mm-mm. That happens a They lot. didn't get divorced. They just separated. I don't, I don't know. But, yeah, that does happen a lot. That's sad. Today, the reward for information about the missing Beaumont children has reached $1 million. So there's still a reward out there. One of Australia's coldest cases broke the heart of the nation, and still it remains unsolved. Please, if you know anything, please say something. Please, please, please. At this point? I know. I don't. I don't know. Half the people that would have witnessed it probably aren't with us anymore. I know. It's so sad. Oh, I just hate it when they're unsolved. Mm-hmm, me too. And te- but, I mean, they did catch the Long Island serial killer after all these years. And the the bridge guy. 
Yeah, but I'm like a thousand percent sure it was Arthur Stanley Brown and he's dead. I'm pretty positive. I mean, all signs point to yes. Yeah. The eight ball said (laughs) it is decidedly so. (laughs) Well, then that's what we're going with. (laughs) Do we need a magic eight ball? That's the most concrete evidence we have right there. (sighs) Yeah, it sucked. Good job. Good case. Thanks. It was Cuckoo Bananas. It was Arthur. Yeah, fuck. I I mean, the sketches, the timeline of where he was, and just... <sighs> yeah, I, be- I believe it was him. Yeah, I do too. That's the hill I'll die on. I'll be right there with you, babe. We're going down together, ride or die. <laughs> <laughs> I even did this. I don't know, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> no, just say no. Just just stop. Alrighty then. <laughs> Are you ready? Yes. Are you sure? Yes, because I know this case. Yes, this bitch is super you cray. Do. Super cray. Uh-huh. We're talking about Catherine Knight. Yeah. Y'all crazy bitch. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um good lord. Let's let's just let the people know. Here we go. Most lovers' quarrels end with an apology, but for Catherine Knight, murder and mutilation were the end result. Mm. Not only did this Australian woman stab her lover with a butcher knife at least 37 times in February of 2000, she then chopped him up, cooked him, and prepared to serve him to his own children. No, ma'am. Triggers? All the trigger warnings. Lots of triggers. <laughs> Even before this grisly killing, the lifeline of Catherine Mary Knight was marked by violence and sexual abuse that only hinted at the bloodshed to come. I love that. I had to keep it. Mm-hmm. All right, so born on October 24th, 1955 in Tenterfield, Australia, Catherine Mary Knight was the product of a scandalous affair between her mother, Barbara Rohan, Mm -hmm. Rohan, and her father, Ken Knight. Um, Barbara was not only already a mother of four boys. Oh, that's too much. With another man. But she even met Ken through her husband. Oy. When their secret rendezvous came to light, it rocked their small conservative town. I have a picture of Catherine. Okay. Um, <laughs> She's wearing some glasses. John Lennon-esque <laughs> glasses. Oh. It's just the, it's her facial expression. Why like, I'm not, does she have that face on her what face? What is she doing? Why has she got that face on her face? Ma'am. I just thought it was a funny photo. So I used to, like, I, are you making a funny face? What are you doing? No, I'm, I just kind of side glanced at the other picture and she making a face on that I one know, too. it's, it seems to be a common thing. I think thing. That's, that's just her why, face. I think that's I'm sorry, Kath. No, I'm not sorry, I'm not, Catherine. But I'm not. Well, you got that face on your face. <laughs> God. <laughs> so, following this tumultuous start, Catherine's chaotic childhood didn't get much better from there. Her father was a violent alcoholic who raped her mother multiple times a day. Oh, my God. 
She claims herself that she was sexually assaulted by several family members until the age of 11. Oh, that's so sad. In school, she was known as a bully who terrorized smaller children, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Without ever learning how to read or write, she quit at the age of 15 to work at a clothing factory. A year later, she landed her dream job at a slaughterhouse. Dream job at a Mm -hmm. slaughterhouse. Okay. And they just, sorry, like... 15? That, that's your dream job? Mm-hmm. Cutting out the internal organs of animals. That's gross. <laughs> Foreshadowing? Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Journalist Peter Laller? Laler? Laler, I would think. Laler? Wrote in uh, Bloodstain, his true crime book that covered Catherine Knight. Okay, want to read that? Yeah. <laughs> That she loved her job so much that she hung her first set of butcher's knives over her bed just in case she ever wanted to use them. I mean, that's where I hang my butcher's knives. (laughs) Doesn't everyone? (laughs) Where else are you supposed to put them? (laughs) What the actual fuck? Are we doing it wrong? You know what is some sexy decor for the bedroom? (laughs) Fuck yeah. Butcher knives. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. That's hot. <laughs> Quite the eclectic collection. <laughs> Could you imagine bringing a dude back to your place and you've got butcher knives hung above your bed? That reminds me. We saw this cabinet today and it looked like one of those old timey torture chambers that you put somebody oh God. in. Like the chokey. Oh my something. God. <laughs> so you can buy the chokey at an antique store. Look, I was like, I'm going to buy this and put this in my bedroom. And if a guy asks me what it's for, I'm be like, fuck around and find out. <laughs> Just for that purpose. Do it. I'm here for that. Let, let's see I what mean, happens. It was like $5,000, but. Oh, pocket you know. change. <laughs> okay. So, so that's exactly where my brain went immediately. Sell your kidney and go buy the chokey. I could probably only get money for one. My right kidney's shit. <laughs> Well, then you'll die. So I know. Let's not do so that. Maybe not sell a kidney. <laughs> well, you need everything feet else. Feet picks. Sell your feet, feet picks. Oh, God, that's so gross. <laughs> okay, moving on. Okay, 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 moving on. Anyways, just in case you ever wanted to use them, while working in the butcher shop, she met David Kellett, a raging alcoholic, much like her father, who was prone to misfit. Misfit. <laughs> Fist <laughs> He's prone to miss fights. <laughs> no, he was apparently in all of them. He didn't miss a single one. He was committed. Yeah. As long as he gave it his all. <laughs> oh, oh God. God. Used to this kind of violence, she surprised her new beau when she joined in on one of his drunken scuffles. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that turned him on. Look at this bitch swing. Mm, Look at at that badass bitch right there. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, He soon realized, however, that Catherine was capable of doing more than a little damage with her fists. Before long, he found himself being dominated by her. That's frightening. In 1974, she convinced him to marry her. He was heavily intoxicated the entire time, and even her mother warned him about her daughter's temperature. 
<laughs> her temperature. Amanda, get your shit together. <laughs> I know the normal is 98.6, <laughs> but she runs a little high. 99, 99.1. Fine. <laughs> um, temper. <laughs> Saying that Catherine had a screw loose somewhere, quote unquote. Okay, if the woman you're about to marry's mother, your future mother-in-law, comes up to you and says, "Bruh, she's got a screw loose Are you somewhere," sure? maybe, maybe, maybe rethink it. If yeah. you feel like you have to be drunk for your wedding, maybe the rethink it. Maybe rethink it. Mm-hmm. There's some red flags there, buddy. <laughs> well, here's another one. On their wedding night, they consummated their marriage three times. Congratulations. Yeah. But when he fell asleep, she wanted a fourth round and took issue with her new husband's exhaustion. So she started to strangle him. Well, I'm sure that livened him up. (laughs) I mean. (laughs) Amanda's grounded. Yep. Okay, so he woke up and managed to fight her off, even though she attempted to kill him only one day into their marriage. The union lasted for 10 more years. That's insanity. The marriage was, however, far from perfect. No shit. He was often unfaithful. I mean, I I don't blame him. I mean, I don't know why. She's obviously ready to go at any time of the day. But she may strangle him at any time of the day. (laughs) I don't kink shame. And they have butcher knives as home decor. So. He should have known. Okay. He's been warned. I'm not saying I feel sorry for him. I'm saying I I don't blame him for going astray. I think they're both fucked up. Maybe a little. So, he, yeah, he, he was unfaithful. He even once left his wife and their two daughters in the middle of the night. After discovering one of his affairs, she placed their two-month-old infant on the local train tracks shortly before a train was due. The train didn't come and the infant was fine. But she also threatened several people with a stolen axe. Bitch. What, 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 what? Okay, let's unpack this. Okay. <laughs> um, you are so upset mm-hmm. your husband is cheating that you're leaving your infant on, on the train tracks. tracks. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay, why is she not in jail for that? Mm. And then, I don't know. You have a plethora of mm. sharp objects in your home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you're going to steal an axe to wield at uh, unsuspecting townsfolk. I guess. She's going Lizzie Borden? I don't, I don't know. Maybe so. I mean, it was kind of cool. Maybe she was far from home and the axe was more convenient. Just pop by the hardware store, steal this axe, and start waving it at people. She's had it. That's it. Fuck this shit. She is done. OG snapped. <laughs> <laughs> OG snapped right here. Possibly. Um, She was also diagnosed with postnatal depression after witnesses saw her violently pushing and swinging her second child in a stroller down a busy street. Oh my god. Why do she keep procreating? That's not postpartum. That's, that's, um, it, and if it is, that's a serious case Get of it. Okay? Help. Okay? 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 
Why do they keep letting her have kids? Well, well, she did spend a few months in a psychiatric hospital where she told nurses that she intended to kill a mechanic who had fixed David's car because that made it possible for him to leave her. Oh, my God. Yep. Despite this threat, he took Catherine back when she was released from the hospital. See, I can't feel sorry for him. Well, it didn't, it didn't last long. He finally was like, okay, I can't, I can't do this. And he left. In 1986, shortly after her breakup with David, Catherine jumped into a whirlwind romance with another David, David Saunders, a local miner. Run, David, run! (laughs) As fast as you can! Within a few months, he moved in with her and her two daughters. However, he kept his apartment, and she became incredibly jealous and suspicious about what he did when she wasn't around. Toxic! Like her previous relationships, this one quickly, <laughs> quickly, it quickly, it quickly, quickly. I I give up, y'all. I just it's fine. I, I we love you anyway. Okay, thank you. <laughs> you love me. You really love me. Stop dwelling on it and move along. Fine. All right. This one quickly <laughs> grew toxic and violent. <laughs> I'm so sorry I have a side tangent. Okay. And it just popped into my head. Yeah, it's all right. Give me a minute to collect my words. Yeah. Okay. okay. Go. So my son has his own playlist on Spotify that we listen to when we're mm-hmm, in the car. Mm-hmm. In the past few months, his music taste has been evolving a little bit. And so all he right. wanted me to... Taylor Swift. No. <laughs> well, there's one Taylor Swift song on there, but there's a whole story to that that we don't have time for. Okay. He's... um has started asking me to delete some of the music that was on there before, like his okay. Cuckoo Kangaroo stuff he used to listen to. Oh, because he's a big boy now. Some of his Disney songs, not all of them, but some of them he's asked me to take off there. And we're adding new things. Like sometimes when he gets in the car, it'll be on my playlist. Oh, yeah. And so he'll pick up some of the songs from there, which is great because that's how he fell in love with Rob Zombie's Dragula. Yes. Here for that. Well, one day he got in and I was... Feeling especially bubbly and poppy Uh-oh. that day, which Uh-oh. doesn't always happen. But alas, there we were. Mm-hmm. And Britney Spears' Toxic came on. <gasps> yes. He fucking loves that song. Shut up. I don't know if it's like the violin thing or what it is, but he fucking loves that song. <laughs> yeah. So he asked me to add it to his playlist, and I reluctantly did. <laughs> reluctantly? Because it's like... I listen to songs now that my mom let me listen to as a kid. And I'm like, why the fuck did you let me listen to that? That's terrible. Like, you Sometimes, know. yeah. And yeah. there's some parts in that that's not really appropriate for a five-year-old little boy to be listening to. It's not blatant. No, but yeah. Okay. But it's not necessarily appropriate. But I was like, whatever. You know, he doesn't know <laughs> right now. So he likes the music. I can tell because he's just constantly bobbing along. Okay. So I added it to the list. I'm so sick of listening to Britney Spears Toxic. <laughs> you have no idea. Play it again, Stephen. Play it again. Um, no, we don't listen to that when Stephen's car. He doesn't give a shit about Britney Spears Toxic. No, I'm telling him to put it in that episode. <laughs> but he has also added two other things. A couple days ago, he wanted The Kids Aren't Alright Offspring. Oh, okay. So that's good on one. there. That's a good yeah. one. And then today, when we were trying to get him pumped up for the football game, mm-hmm. Stephen put on this, like, college football pump-up playlist or whatever. Okay. And 
Imagine Dragons Believer was on there. We have listened to that at least a dozen times today. He has learned about half the words of the song, and I want to bang my head up against the wall. Yeah. So... They they overplayed it on the radio and all that. And lot. I love that he loves it. Yeah. And I love that he's learning the words and everything. Mm-hmm. But when he makes me listen to something over and over and over and over again like that, yeah, it makes me hate it. It kills song. it. But you said toxic, and I was thinking toxic, and then that song popped into my head. Yeah, toxic. He's five years old in the back seat <laughs> singing toxic. With a taste of you. <laughs> he sings that part. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, if you only knew. I'm going to need you to do that for me. But yeah, that, that's where we are. Next time we're all in the car, I'm jamming toxic. Okay, I'm here for it. I want to see this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm raising a well-rounded young man. <laughs> I love it. I'm here for all of it. And he definitely is. I love that little boy. He's like a little cutie. Okay. So toxic and violent. <laughs> toxic and violent. <laughs> At one point, oh God, that was such a happy and funny story. I hate to like, all right. At one point she slit the throat of his two month old dingo puppy Uh, in front of him just to show him what she was capable of. You didn't say that right. It's dingo. I'm sorry. I just was trying to get through it. Dingo puppy. (laughs) Dingo babies. I was was trying to go along with it. Shrimp on the barbie. Dango babies. It's awful. I'm sorry. It is. It's so awful. Why do you gotta kill the dog? Like, what? That makes me so sad. And I need to Google what a dingo puppy looks like. Oh, they're so cute. They really are. I've never met one, so I don't know. I haven't met one in person. Dingo. Oh, my God. (laughs) I type in dingo and... Third thing that pops up is Dingo ate my baby. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Dingo yeah. puppy. I'll put a picture of the Dingo puppy. <gasps> oh, my cow. I want one. I know. Aren't they adorable? Okay. Can you have a Dingo as a pet? Yes. Although it is generally not recommended to keep a Dingo as a pet, a Dingo in captivity can increase the animal's life expectancy about 10 years. They live about 15 years if you do keep them as a pet, but they recommend you don't. Okay. Okay. Oh, my God. They're so cute. Okay. Australians. Why Why not? Hello, mate. Why, why can we not have a dingo? Okay. This one has two puppies in it, so I'm going to take a picture of this and put it on. All right. Send it to me. Okay. Oh my God. They're so cute. I want a dingo puppy. <laughs> There's two of them in that picture, one for each of us. Okay. Oh, they're so cute. I'm gonna name mine Dundee. <laughs> My name mine Kevin. <laughs> oh, that's cute. <laughs> that's a good picture. All right, all right, back to business. Back to business. So he stayed with her. Even after seeing all that. What are wrong with men? Um she must have beer flavored, you know what, or give some really good head. I I don't know. Heath Ledger's phrase was beer flavored nipples. Okay, that works too. Beer, beer flavored. What nipples. does this girl have? Beer flavored nipples or something? Yeah, you're right. He did say that. Ten things I hate about you. Yeah. Maybe she does. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe 
Uh, I don't know. There's got to be something. They are probably terrified of her. The axe-wielding crazy woman. I mean. <sighs> Lord. Okay, so they stayed together and even had a daughter a year later. However, he did leave her shortly after the birth because she attempted to kill him with a pair of scissors. It is time. <laughs> it was time a long time ago. Mm-hmm. She then met a name. A man. What is a name? A name man. John Chillingworth. That's a cool last name. I know, right? They stayed together for three years and had a child, Eric. It was her first son. Why do people keep procreating with her? She got beer-flavored nipples. Oh, my God. Wear a condom. (laughs) Um, Dose her with birth control. What is wrong with you people? Might be mandatory for this one. You know, with the postpartum depression being so severe, quote-unquote. Um (sighs) I don't think it was postpartum. I think this woman was just batshit crazy to begin with. Batshit crazy. Maybe the postpartum made it worse. She had a flare up. (laughs) Maybe. Well, because your hormones are just like not so crazy. It is is the thing. I I, I went through it too, but I never wanted to kill anybody or kill a puppy. With a pair of scissors? No. Mm, Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they stayed together for three years and had a child. No violent incidents have been reported about their relationship. It ended after John learned that Catherine was having an affair with a man named John Charles Thomas Price. Try calling that out when he's in trouble. <laughs> they they didn't think that went through. Mm-hmm. That that's one of the main things that I practice when I pick out a kid's name. You have Is to it easy to roll off the tongue. Yes. Does it, it flow? Out? John Charles Thomas Price. No. No, it doesn't. That's too much names. No, it's too many. It's too many. Okay, well, I've named him John Charles. Okay. So we're going to go take a look at John Charles. Okay. Well. Yeah. John Charles looks like a simple man. (laughs) He likes to collect pins and drink beers. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And wear bracelets. He favors acid wash jeans. Absolutely. I mean, it was the 80s. And he's sporting a mullet-esque style hairdo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right then. That's, um, poor guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The beginning of Catherine Knight and John Price's relationship was without complications. He had two older children who lived with him and seemed to like Catherine, and he made enough money as a minor to keep her comfortable. Mm. He was also a minor. Not not minor. Minor. Yeah. <laughs> Get it? An er, not an or. Yeah, an er, not an or. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they moved in together in 1995, and things were going smoothly. However, when she suggested they marry, he said no. And she didn't like that, so she got pissy and violent. Again. Which is when he should have thrown away, thrown away, run away. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he should have just thrown that bitch away at that point. I mean, <laughs> uh. we're almost there. We're almost there. Our brains are dead. What are words? I'm going to keep trying because <laughs> I can't gonna... just leave them hanging. 
just going to sit here and eat my fucking cake. <laughs> I'm just going to eat my fucking cake. Okay. You might not want to in a little bit, but it's fine. <laughs> Move along, ma'am. Okay. Catherine framed him for stealing things from his company and got him fired. Though he initially kicked her out a few months later, they started seeing each other again. Beer-flavored nipples. Apparently. However, this time he refused to let her move back in. According to their friends and neighbors, her violence began to escalate. <sighs> I know, I know, I know. Um, I have, I do have a little photo of them together, and he looks absolutely miserable. 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 He's gained weight. Sir, your gut. Mm-hmm. It's full of beer. That's a beer gut, if I ever seen one. She got that face on her face again. She's defiling Tweety Bird wearing that sweatshirt. Um, what is it her, what is she wearing? I don't, it looks like a Tweety Bird sweater, sweater. and biker shorts. What is it in her pockets? <laughs> is that, a, is that probably a, her cigarettes? No, that looks like cigarettes in her hand. Mm-hmm. Is it an axe or a butcher knife or maybe a pair of scissors? There's no way to know. Not with this crazy bitch. But he looks but, yeah, like he, he looks is like over it. Lost <laughs> all of his happiness. He no longer collects pins on his hats. No more pins. She took away all of his joy. He graduated to a wristwatch instead of a bracelet. <sighs> he looks so sad. He really does. Of course, sir. That's why you're doing include. it to yourself, though. Quit getting back to. Why do they keep getting back together? She keeps trying to kill you, and you just keep going back. I just don't understand. I, I mean, it can't be that good. I mean, what kind of beer is it that she's flavored with? No, though? it does not matter. It's not that good. <laughs> it it has to be like the fountain of youth or something. I mean, it's, she it's got to have some drugs in it. I don't. It's trying to kill you at any point. It ain't that good. Maybe they're not beer flavored nipples. Maybe they have some kind of drug in them that makes you forget mm. what she's done. Maybe what she does is as painful as childbirth and then they forget how bad it is and want to do it again. Mm. I don't know. I was drugged. <laughs> so, I've nev never I mean, birthed the, a child. That's the, just what I've heard. The contractions were bad, but I didn't feel anything else after that. Nothing. <laughs> but who knows? I don't know. I don't know. There's no way to know. <laughs> so in February of 2000... An argument between John Charles Thomas Price and Catherine Knight culminated with her attempting to stab him in the chest. He took out a restraining order against her in an attempt to keep his children safe. Smart. Toward the end of the month, he let on that he was concerned for his safety and told his co-workers that if he ever went missing, it's because she killed him. And he was right to be afraid. Mm-hmm. Very afraid. Mm-hmm. On February 29th, 2000, John Charles Thomas Price came home from work and followed his usual routine of checking in with the neighbors before going to bed at 11. Catherine came home shortly after, made herself dinner, watched TV, had a little shower, and went upstairs. She woke him. The two had sex, and he went back to bed. Then Catherine took a butcher knife from next to her bed. Mm -hmm. You know, where, she wanted where to they use always it. kept them. Yeah, she wanted to use it. <laughs> and she stabbed him 37 times. According to evidence, he woke up during the attack but could not fight her off. 
Mm. He succumbed to his wounds, and Catherine dragged his body downstairs, skinned him, and hung his body from a meat hook in the living room. Why are you going to meat hook in your living room? <sighs> she then decapitated him and cut up pieces of his body to cook in a dish with potato, pumpkin, beets, zucchini, cabbage, squash, and gravy. Okay, the, you know, the human meat aside, that sounds disgusting anyway. Yeah, I'm not a, f- a fan of cabbage, mm, like, um, at all. No. I do like squash and beets. You can throw that out. I don't want any beets. Gross. But no, I just you. feel like, why would you add pumpkin to that? That doesn't I seem like know. it goes. Maybe it's an Australian thing. Or gravy. I don't put gravy on my veggies. I mean, I put it on my potatoes and my meat, though. Yeah, but not on your squash zucchini and... Well, they didn't say where you put the gravy. She just They just said what all she made. <sighs> gross. Uh, it's all gross. Um, um, it's gross. Mm-mm. She then made a dish for herself. Though the half-discarded contents later found at the crime scene suggests that she couldn't finish her meal. Because it was she, people meat. She ate some of it. She actually ate some of it. It was people meat. Of course she didn't finish it. Ew. She then laid down next to the headless, mutilated corpse of John Charles Thomas Price, took a large number of pills, and passed out. His co-workers heeded his warning the next morning and called the police after he didn't show up for his shift. Good, Good job, job, co-workers. The police arrived to find Catherine's gruesome crime scene and immediately detained the comatose knight. <laughs> yeah. She was in a food coma. She took pills. <laughs> I know. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, what? <laughs> Once she woke up, she claimed to have no memory of the night before. Lies. In the kitchen, police found his head boiling in a pot of vegetables on the stove. On the table, they found two full plates, each labeled with a name. In horror, the police realized that Catherine had planned to serve his body parts to his children. Oh, no. Despite her claims that she had no recollection of the night of when he died, Catherine was quickly charged with his murder in october of 2001 her trial commenced but they didn't get very far for reasons that remain unclear she changed her plea to guilty and the judge adjourned and the case without testimony so there was no trial for this one either i hate that she was escorted to prison that day and the judge ordered that her papers be marked never to be released quote unquote For the first time in history, a woman in Australia was given a life sentence without parole. Good. Yay! I mean, Australia is at least like their legal system and their police and search parties are doing something right. They ain't fucking around. No. (laughs) Not in Australia, honey. Yes. (laughs) To this day, Catherine nevertheless maintains her innocence and refuses to accept responsibility for her actions. Of course. She has appealed her sentence before and was denied almost immediately. She is still serving her life sentence at Silverwater Women's Correctional Center. If you want to go visit her. Um, no. I'm good. I'm good. You're not going to prison pen pal her? Nope. I don't care. I don't want to know. I'm proud of you. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Nope. I don't care to talk to her. Good. At all. (laughs) At all. Nope. Okay. I don't know what that was. Nope. 
Cheerio. That's British. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good eye, mate. There you go. There, we're back on track. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're done with our cases. Mm-hmm. And we should probably move on to our other thing that we do here. It's time for Guess That Cryptid! I'm dead right now. Do 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 do. Congratulations. That's all I got. Do 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 do. Our other one is This one's do 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 do. Okay. All right, I accept that. <laughs> yeah, so cryptid number four, clue number two, go read the rules. They're posted at the top of Facebook. They're in Instagram somewhere. <laughs> Just, it's, it's you'll, easier you'll to it, find it, things it's on like the Facebook. super easy to find, though. It says rules for guess that cryptid, and mm-hmm. like you, you can't miss it. You can do it. We I have faith in, in you. you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All the things. We have all, all the things all, in all you. All the face, all the beliefs. <laughs> yes. Um, so we have not had a winner yet or no. any guesses that no. I'm aware of. Mm-mm. No. Okay. So clue number two is said to be more than a mile long. There you go. One, one more time. Yeah. Said to be more than a mile long. I hope you heard that. Yeah. Cause that was a really short and sweet one. Mm-hmm. All right. Go take your guesses. You get one guess per cryptid. Mm-hmm. If you guess it right, you will win mystery merch. You can only win once. One time. One. Most most of this of the rules are one time. <laughs> That's all you need to remember. Just one time. This one time? <laughs> this one time on Guess That Cryptid. Yeah. 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 Just, just once. And you'll get your fabulous prize in December, just in time for Christmas. Yeah. So go make your guesses and go forth and guess. (laughs) I forgot about that. Did Uh, you hear it after? (laughs) No, I still didn't hear it until you made the comment. I heard it. He didn't have to keep that in there. I'm just saying. Yeah, I didn't hear it I again did. until, like, you said that, and then it was like, shit, did I say it that many but times? But you know what? When I was listening to it in the playback, I didn't hear it until I said it, so I probably <laughs> just should have kept my mouth shut. <laughs> it's fine. Go forth and guess. Go forth and guess. <laughs> that might be official now. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go forth and finish my nap. Well, considering it's nighttime, uh, I'm going to allow you to do that. Okay, thanks. All right. Well, sweet dreams, Brittany. (laughs) Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. Please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. We want to give a huge shout out to Stephen Goetzky for editing, Craig Weaver for music, and our very own Amanda Hagen for art. We'll talk at you next week.